didn't seem like a good morning. Good morning. <laughs> then okay. Uh, I'd like you to take a moment. We haven't done this. So uh, just say hello to the person who's next to you. Maybe if you're visiting us for the first time, we want to welcome you. We're happy that you're here. I have a special friend that's here tonight. A few of them, actually. So just take a moment to do that. Yeah, if you see someone that you haven't seen before, make sure you talk to them, give them a big hug, a big smile, and welcome them. If you're visiting us, we want you to feel welcome. You are special guests, and we are very glad that you're here. Um, we have been doing a series on Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. And I know that most of you went through chapter 1, 2, and 3, and today we're doing chapter 4. But if you are visiting with us, or if you've never read the book of Nehemiah, I'll give you a quick overview. So basically, the Jerusalem had been taken over by the Babylonians, and they had all moved to Babylon and scattered. So the city is now broken. All the walls are broken. The gates are broken. They have been burnt down. And it's a bit chaotic. And they, other people are kind of controlling the region. And there's this guy named Nehemiah, and he worked for the king of the Babylonians, which is Artaxerxes. And he was the cupbearer. He's the guy that brought wine to the king. And he's a man of God. You know, he's always seeking God. So when news came from Jerusalem, some of his friends arrived from visiting Jerusalem. Uh, he, um, he said to them, what's the news? What do we have? And he said, the news are not good. The city is broken. You know, the gates are broken. Everything's a mess. So he went to his room and he cried. And then he started praying, he started fasting, and he started asking God for a solution. And uh, he had expectations that God would do something. And even if God wanted to use him, he was, he was there, he was ready. So he went to the king, and he was sad because of the situation. So the king looked at him as he was serving, and he was like, you're not sick. So that look of yours, it only can mean that you're sad in your heart, you know. So what's wrong? And he's like, how, King, how can I not be sad if the city of my ancestors, my family, everything is in ruins, everything is broken. All the gates are gone, you know. It, the people aren't safe. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And then he prayed, and he asked for God's favor, and then he spoke with bold, boldness. He said, well, King, if it favors you, I would like to go and rebuild the wall. And he's like, okay, how long would that take? So he kind of answered the king. And Nehemiah goes into the city. But not only that, he asks the king, King, if it pleases you, could you give me a letter of authorization so I can go and do this? And also, can you finance this? Because I need wood, I need different things, you know, I need people to help me. And the king said, all right, go. You know, so he goes and he starts rebuilding the wall. And he gets there, he, he analyzes the wall, he, he, he has strategies in places. He gathers the elders, he gathers the people together, and they start rebuilding the wall. And then up until chapter 3, you know, they kind of recover the gates, they, they, they start doing well, so they haven't had much opposition. So today, we're going to talk about opposition. Uh, what do we do when opposition comes? Today is get, like preparing for opposition. So let's go to chapter 4 in Nehemiah. We're going to have the NIV here for you. And I'm going to read 
And as I read, just follow along. Today you won't get a really posh British exit, but that's good because you have to pay closer attention. <laughs> so here we go. I mean, I'm just going to read through Nehemiah 4 with you. It says, When Sembalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly uh, incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are the, those feeble Jews doing? Would they restore their wall? Would they offer sacrifices? Would they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing on it would break it down, uh, break their, their walls of stones. Then uh, Nehemiah's response, Hear us, O God, our God, for we we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their hearts. But when Sembalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is given out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the, some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall uh, at the exposed places post them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of, the plot, of their plot, and God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, Half of the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armors. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each, builder, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I said to the people, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night, so they can serve us as guards by night, and as workers by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, 
nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when we went for water. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. Um, so, I want to start telling you a story. I'll come down so I'm closer to you. I'm just making sure my notes are right. Um, there's a, a guy, a kid at this time. He was, his name is Igor, Igor uh, Sikorsky. Igor Sikorsky, you might have heard this name. But when Igor Sikorsky was 12 years old, his parents told him that expert had already proved that human uh, flight is impossible. Igor went on to build the first uh, helicopter. And when he built the first helicopter, he had a plant <coughs> in America, because he was Russian descent, he moved to America. When he got his plant, he put up a sign in his American plant that said, according to recognized aerotechnical tests, the bumblebee cannot fly because of the shape and weight of his body in relation to total wing area. The bumblebee does not do know this, so he goes, goes ahead and flies anyways. <laughs> so I don't know if you've seen a bumblebee, but he doesn't have the, the aerodynamics to fly, but he doesn't know that, so he flies anyway. I think that Nehemiah would have really liked this sign, because uh, as we see in his story, uh, whenever you are going to do something significant for God, whenever you prepare yourself and you are moving forward, you are, you are doing something significant for God, opposition will come and you will face strong opposition. Satan never bothers with half-hearted people. If you are just chilling, you're half-hearted, you know, you're kind of monotonous in your spiritual life, he's not bothered. He's not really worried. But if you come on fire for Christ, look out. You know, Satan's name means adversary. Satan means adversary. Adversary, why? Because he's opposed to everything that is for God and his people. And anytime something is moving forward, he's going to oppose. And it's very similar in our personal life. It's similar. As long as you have one foot in the world, he's not really bothered. You know, as long as you are stagnant, you know, you're just chilling, he's not bothered. You can come to church, you can even study uh, in a small group, but as long as you just, you know, there, he's not too bothered. But if we start preaching the gospel, we start preaching the truth of Jesus, if we wake up from our spiritual sleep and you start uh, preaching uh, salvation, you start preaching uh, forgiveness of sin and uh, redemption to a holy God, pointing people to the cross, look out. Things are going to start getting shaky. You know? It's the same applies for church and church leaders. Whenever godly leaders attempt to do something for God and you want to advance, want to do something new, you're going to get opposition. If you're advancing God's kingdom, you're going to get opposition. Because Satan's not bothered if you just remain. He doesn't care if you just remain. You know? It's all right. If you just remain, you're not advancing. Have you ever seen war? What army is worried if the other army just remains? But as soon as they start moving forward, they start retaliating. They start, you know, strategy starts to come. So it's the same in our spiritual life. Here at church, if we just remain, that's all right. We're not threatening darkness. We're not advancing. We're not, we're not getting people out of hell. We're not uh, causing uh, people to be transformed. If we just remain... The devil's not bothered. So shake the person behind you, beside you and say, oh, are you just remaining or are you moving forward? 
<laughs> Wake them up a bit. Nehemiah 4 teaches us uh, to expect opposition. And how do we respond to it? So how do we respond to that? <coughs> Notice that God was in the project. So it was God's will for them to rebuild the wall. That's no doubt about that. But did you notice that God doesn't remove the opposition? The opposition still comes. You know, in our life it's the same thing. It's God wants you to grow in faith. God wants you to do great things. God wants you to advance the kingdom. God wants you to invite your friends. God wants you to do something for him. But he's not going to remove opposition. Because it's in the opposition that you get stronger. As they're building the wall, they're building muscle as they carry bricks. They're sharpening skills that they never had. They were not professional builders. But as they're doing, they're teamworking. They're getting together. They're fundraising. They're watching each other's back. All of a sudden, that quarrel they had at home, they don't have time to quarrel anymore because they're building a wall. They're busy. They're doing something great. You know? So opposition will cause greater determination in you. Opposition will focus you to do what God called you to do. Because it's, you can't just remain. You're just getting, you know, you're getting attacked. So, what are the oppositions that we see in Nehemiah 4? He shows us six, and I'll be quick with them. But it says, the first thing it says that people will get angry at you. So, look what it says in verse 1 and 7. I, I have my notes here. So, it says, Sembalat, the governor of Samaria, became furious and very angry. Why? Because a secure and independent <coughs> Jerusalem would threaten his domain would threaten his hold on the area, would threaten him financially, would threaten his influence. So he had an interest to keep that thing broken, you know. Uh, he goes on to join the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Philistine, people that he had differences with. He puts his differences aside so they can attack and stop this work. Do you know that people that don't even like each other will come together when you start doing something for Jesus? People that... Or, uh, you know, they're opposed to each other. They'll come together to try to stop you moving God's kingdom forward. The same thing happened to Jesus. Think of uh, uh, Pontius Pilate and Herod. They were enemies. But in the day that they crucified Jesus, they became friends. <laughs> you know? So things like that will happen. Because this work that God was doing in Jerusalem threatened their lifestyle. And so they became angry. Satan also uses angry people in our lives. Think of a family, okay? Uh, a young man who doesn't know Jesus. This whole family is, are non-Christians. They have no history of Christianity in their family. And then they come, they accept Jesus, Jesus calls them, and he starts, they start doing, living for Jesus, and they come home, and they, they come excited and say, Mom, Dad, I found the truth. I found Jesus. He transformed me. I have this peace and this joy that... I can't even explain. You've got to have this. He's like, all this stuff we've been doing is not right. Dad, this is not. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? We've been doing this all our lives. You come here now. You go to church one time. You think you're better than us? You think you're not. Oh, you're holy now. You're a priest. Oh, you're full of the. Oh, is it the Holy Spirit? Is that what they call it? Oh, so a holy man now. huh? Don't be coming here telling me I can't drink. I can't do this. I can't do that. He's like, who do you think you are? Don't you think? It seems like they should react, oh, my son, he found Jesus, so he's, he's doing like moral things now. He's not going out drinking. He's not like getting a bunch of girls pregnant. He's not just going out partying, doing drugs. But instead of doing that, they retaliate. Why? Because 
it's light in darkness. Because he, God's presence in that place, as the kingdom advances, it threatens their, their worldly self-centered lives. I mean, this guy comes in the church. I've been here 30 years chilling here in this seat. Now the church is growing. He takes my seat. What's going on, you know? I've been here. Now this guy comes in. You know, this, this new teacher comes in with new ideas. This Sunday school room, I've always done it this way. Now starting to mess things up. Just, you know, <laughs> it gets us out of comfort zone, doesn't it? And uh, Satan's aim when it comes into this family kind of situation is to call off the Christian, to slow him down. You know, have you seen a new Christian? He comes on fire, and then all of a sudden, the Satan tried to stifle, squash his excitement, you know, with angry attacks. And if anger doesn't work, he comes with mockery. He comes, people will mock you. People will be sarcastic. Look at Sambalat. <coughs> Sambalat and his buddies uh, ask sarcastic question in verse 2. What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore this themselves? Can they praise Jesus after this? What, they're going to raise up the, the, the broken down, the burnt bricks? What, they're just going to lift all, all be built. Is that what they're going to do? Who do they think they are? They're not even builders. Doesn't that happen to us? What's Ian doing? Is he a, a, a construction engineer? Ian, you are an architect? Does he know what he's doing? You know, is he a finance specialist to raise money for this church? What? Huh? This church, they're going to be, they've been there 130 years, they're going to die there, they're not going to change nothing. You know, and if they, what? Renew, the, renew the, the, the rooms? Are you crazy? Have you seen the rooms? Can't renew the rooms. What are you going to do? How are you going to raise money? Are you going to pay for that? <laughs> One time in our family, my father in Sao Paulo, when I was a kid, he started renovating the church. And he built this ceiling. Uh, he had this idea. He said that he prayed and he saw this vision that God's hand was over the church. So he made the ceiling of the church out of wood as if it was God's hand like this. So it seems like it's God's hand over the church. When the church was ready and they had nice uh, lights, everything, they put granite in the front steps, a huge garden. It was a, like the most beautiful church in our denomination at the time, you know. And then one lady came to him and said, hmm, <coughs> and one of the elders, Pastor, I don't understand why all this expensive stuff. Why do we need all this stuff? If Jesus comes back, who's going to pay for all this? <laughs> if you stay, you, because I'm going to be in heaven. <laughs> so it's like, why are you bothering? You know? We're not even going to be here. Lloyd. Who's going to pay the bill if Jesus returns? Whoever stays, pay the bill. I don't care. You know? So uh, you, sometimes you get opposition from, from things that don't even make sense. You know? But anyways, uh, let's keep going. Satan will use ridicule. He will try to get people against you, making fun of you. Uh, I said, remember what I talked about the new creation. As he comes in, people will call, call, oh, here comes the Pope. Oh, he doesn't like women anymore. He's a Christian. Oh, he don't, don't, don't bother him. He doesn't drink. He doesn't drink. It's too good to drink, you know. Oh, no. And all of a sudden, now he stops smoking. Oh, don't, oh, don't, oh don't, don't say a curse word around him, you know. Don't sin. Have you ever, have you been in this situation? Let me tell you. Commitment to Christ threatens godless lifestyles. Commitment to Christ threatens godless lifestyles. Because Christ's light exposes rubbish. 
It exposes dirt. It exposes what's wrong. When you make a commitment to Christ and you walk in the place. I remember when I was in high school, uh, I never went to parties. Almost never. Because it wasn't the environment for me. But most of my friends did. I was a footballer. So my friends drank. They smoked. They did stuff, you know. And one time, I was working on this kid. This kid used, I didn't know, but he used to sell weed. He used to do different things. And I brought him home one time. And my mom said, I don't want you going around with this kid anymore. He's not good company for you. And then I turned and said, Mom, he's the only good influence that he has in his life is me. So don't worry. He's not going to influence me. I'm going to influence him. Trust me. Do you trust me? You know the son you raised. So just trust me. The kid stopped selling drugs. He started coming to church with me. But, you know, you kind of kind of give and take a bit, you know. So he started working. He got a job. He said, Lucas, I used to sell drugs. I had $500 a, a week. And he's like, now I get $200 a month and I have money left over. Before, I never had money, you know. So God started transforming his life. And we went to, he's like, Lucas, come on, let's go to this party. The kids are going to go. Say, okay, I said, let's go. We'll go. So he was surprised they said, I'll go. But obviously, I didn't drink, didn't smoke. As soon as I walked into the party, all my friends that were footballers, they looked at, oh, my God, Lucas is here. So they kind of like didn't know how to act. I didn't say anything. I just walked in. And then I sat in the table. They had a bunch of bottles. They were smoking. And one of the guys, one of the strikers, he came and said, hey, get this rubbish away, man. And he just like threw all the bottles out. Clean this stuff. Stop smoking. Be respectful. Be respectful. Lucas is here. They stopped cursing. They stopped drinking. We just chilled. I hadn't said a word. I never said anything. I just arrived. But God's light arrived with me. Have you ever been in a dark room when you're sleeping? When you're a kid, you probably remember this. You're sleeping in the dark. All of a sudden, your dad wakes, turns the light on. Wake up. What's your reaction? Oh, you know, darkness. When you are in darkness and light comes in shining brightly, causes discomfort. So our light, the light of Christ in you, will cause discomfort. That's why when we accept Jesus many times, your circle of friends change. Not because you want to change, but because you cause discomfort. If they don't change with you, if they don't accept Christ with you, if they don't come with you, they tend to just, like, you know, they just go away. They feel discomfort. Uh, with discomfort, the, last, the next one is... People may threat you and intimidate you. Nehemiah's enemies had to be careful since he was working for Artaxerxes. He had the king's permission. So they couldn't just come in and attack Nehemiah. They couldn't just cause war on Nehemiah because that would be an act against King Artaxerxes. And he was the big guy, you know, so he would send an army there and destroy them. So they couldn't do that. But they had strategies. If you read the text carefully, we don't have to go, time to go into all the details, but if you read it carefully, you will see that they send these little terrorists to go in the breaches, to go in small places, to try to cause discouragement, to try to scare people. Because they couldn't scare as a whole, but as long as they're small terrorists, they could just say, oh, these are just guys on their own. I have no control over that. Satan does the same with you, does the same with us, does the same with the church. He knows he's defeated. He knows he can't go against the king of kings. He knows he has no chance. But what does he do? He looks for little breaches in the wall. He looks for little breaches in your life. He looks for little episodes, little places where he can cause discouragement, where he can mock you, where he can shake you up, where he can make you lose focus on the work, you know, where he can cause division, 
Because these little guys said, hey, they're scared. There's not gonna be enough money. There's not going to be enough money. There's not going to be enough people. Uh, we're not professional builders. They start, you know, questioning. And they lose focus. And they even start questioning the purpose. They start questioning God. Is God really real? Notice when Jesus was baptized, heaven opens. And a voice comes, this is my son. And then he goes to the desert. What does the devil do? If you are really his son, he's questioning what God has already bestowed on him, you know. And sometimes these subtle things come our ways as well. He still uses subtle threats, and he's trying to scare you. He'll say things like, oh, if you try to pray with that person at work, you might be fired. If you try to raise your kids, how the scripture tells you to raise your kids, authorities will come and take your kids. Because you cannot discipline kids anymore. You know, so he tries to install these things in your head. The fourth thing is discouragement and exhaustion. Notice in verse 10 it says, the strength of the builders were giving out. Like they were losing strength. And there are still so much rubbish. As you can see in verse 6, they had built up to halfway point. And the halfway point is a dangerous mark. For example... It's easy for me coming in to talk about the building because I've been here six months. So I'm excited. Hey, man, we got like close to 400,000 pounds. God's going to give us the stuff. We're going to build this thing. It's going to be great. But if you've been here since the beginning, man, I've heard some people say, man, we've been here 10 years raising money. We haven't put one brick up, you know. But we started with five pounds. But, you know, when you start, you have this huge uh, honeymoon phase, you know, this big surge. And then when you start getting to the halfway point, you start seeing it's like, wow, I mean, we've done a lot, but man, there's still so much to do, you know? You do that in the same with your life. You become, you come a, uh, to Christ and you come on fire, you know? But as you start, you know, hitting opposition, as you, man, the Bible is kind of a long book. I don't always understand it. And you come to a prayer meeting and, you know, God hasn't been answering. You're still facing opposition. You know, your kids are, are still disobedient. Your kids are being transformed. Things are not happening as fast as you thought. And then you're thinking, am I cut out for this? You know, can I really make this? Is Christianity really for me? You, you start, you know, questioning things. And you start thinking you're not cap capable of doing things. You start getting tired. And after tiredness comes uh, negativity or negative negativism, you know, is what they bring here. Notice that criticism and mockery and, and threats and anger came from the people outside the wall, outside the Jewish people. There weren't people that were Jewish. But negativity, the negativism, came from the Jews themselves. It says in verse 12 that there were Jews that were living close to the enemy. And they heard what the enemy was saying. And they brought that message of discouragement to the people. So what can we see here? These Jews should have been working on the wall. They should have been helping build the wall. They should be part of it. But instead, they are living close to the enemy, giving ear to the enemy's lies, and bringing discouraging negativity to the people. When you're busy working, you don't have time to criticize. When you're busy working and raising money, you don't have time to, to be negative, you know? Uh, a lot of people think that the church is a paddle boat. Have you ever been in a paddle boat? 
You know, when I was a kid, I loved paddle boats. Because I would get on, me and my uh, two brothers and my sister, and my brothers were kind of heavy guys, you know, and we would just, blah, Daddy, I want to see the duck on the other side. Paddle away. And my dad, <gasps> he hated the paddle boat. He only wanted to rent it for 30 minutes. And I never understood why. Why does dad hate paddle boats? And then as you become a father, you understand why. Because you get on, your wife gets on, your kids get on, and they're like, Daddy, paddle. I want to see the ducks. Nobody helps to paddle. You paddle by yourself. <laughs> you know? Then people think that the church is a paddle boat. Pastor, raise the money. Pastor, pray. Paddle. We want to evangelize. We want new people. We want to build a building. Paddle, paddle, paddle. No. The church is a war boat where everybody, like in the Ben-Hur movies, everybody has a paddle. Everybody's rowing. Everybody's trying. Everybody's going. And when you're paddling, you don't have time to shake the boat. You know, if you're paddling, you're like, ah, you don't even know what's going on. You're just paddling, you know. <laughs> you're busy with the job you're doing. So tell your neighbor there, grab a paddle. You know, stop thinking we're in a paddle boat. Grab a paddle. Huh? Uh, a lot of times, negativity comes from the people close to us, from the people... Ah, you're just saying that because you're new. I've been here 55 years. Nothing has ever changed. Didn't you think I went to that stage? I had that fire you have too. I was young once, you know. A lot of people will act this way. But negativism, negativism is the enemy of faith. Faith is believing and knowing that's going to happen what you can't even see. Amen. It's not negativism. And uh, Nehemiah, he didn't ignore the reality of the danger. Okay? He didn't ignore the, the danger. But if he had heard all these prophets of doom, the wall would have never been built. And the last thing that comes is fear. And fear is a compilation or uh, putting all these other oppositions together cause fear. So as you can see, they, they had the enemy's anger. They had mockery and threats. They were wearing down, exhausted, they're getting tired. And they're repeatedly receiving negativity. You know, the Jews, uh, from the Jews themselves. And Satan uses fear, so you start becoming afraid. It's like, oh, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I, don't think I, I have the power for this. I don't think I have the strength for this. But you've got to remember that Jesus gives you the strength, not you. Satan uses fear to paralyze you. He uses fear to paralyze us. What happens when somebody's scared? The first thing, <gasps> you know, they have no action. They become paralyzed. You know, have you ever been really scared when somebody comes, hey! You know, like the first thing you do is like, <laughs> like I, one time I scared a friend of mine with a joke that when he turned around, like I went to, like he was in the kitchen with my brother, you know, and he was talking and I came in and I did this. I went right up to his head, and I went like this. I put a gun there and just stood there. And he's talking to my brother. He's in, just with my finger. And my brother uh, was talking. He saw that he didn't see me. So I said, shh, don't say anything. And I just I stood there for like a minute. When he turned around and he finally saw me, he went like this. <gasps> like he sounded like a woman. You know, he lost his voice completely. He didn't even have words. Like he's like, I got so scared, like words didn't come. He became paralyzed. 
And that's what Satan will do. He'll try to use fear to paralyze you. Because if you're paralyzed, what are you doing? You're just remaining. You're just staying. You are no threat. You know? So how should we respond to, to, to such opposition? We will see that Nehemiah says, in, when this thing comes, we should respond with prayer, work, vigilance, and focus on the Lord. Can we say that together? Prayer. prayer. Say it with me. Prayer. prayer. Come on. Prayer. prayer. Work. Prayer. Vigilance. And focus on the Lord. Okay. Nehemiah teaches us, lift your voices in prayer. Put your hearts in the work. Keep your eyes on the enemy in vigilance. And keep our minds focused on the Lord of faith. In faith. So what's our first reaction? The first thing you do, opposition will come. If you stand up for Jesus, if you're trying to do a new project, if you're doing something meaningful, if you're advancing the kingdom, expect opposition. It will come. So what do we do with that? First thing, lift your voice in prayer. Can you say that with me? <coughs> lift your voice in prayer. We often face opposition. And our first response usually isn't prayer. Prayer becomes our last response when it should be our first response. We, we, we get angry, we want to smack people back, we want to attack, we want to retaliate, you know. Uh, we want to defend ourselves, but our first response should always be prayer. You will see that in verse 4 and in verse 9. When opposition came, Nehemiah went to pray. In prayer, there's an unknown source that I found online, this really nice quote, but I don't know who it came from. It said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. <laughs> I like that. You can do more than pray once you've prayed. You've prayed, okay, you can go do other stuff. But you cannot do anything until, you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Why prayer? Prayer reminds of who God is. Prayer puts our focus on the God, uh, the amazing God, not on the problem. Prayer reminds us that God's in control and he's sovereign even in the enemy side. He's in control of everything. Prayer reminds us, uh, puts our heart and acknowledges us to trust God. Uh, prayer is asking God to work for you. I want to give you an example. Uh, Lewis, come over here for a second. He's going to be a volunteer. He doesn't know this, but Lewis is going to be the devil. <laughs> Lewis, you are the adversary. You are Satan. <laughs> Lewis is one of my uh, youth leaders, so he, he, we are friends. I know I can do this with him. So Lewis is representing your adversary, okay? He's representing Satan. So Lewis, my goal is to, to get to advance the kingdom, okay? So you're going to keep me from advancing the kingdom. I chose you because I know you will keep me from advancing the kingdom. <laughs> Look at the size of this guy. But now I, want, I will get other helpers. So I want some strong guys to help me. So come on, if you're strong, young, vibrant, come on up here. I need about seven of you. Come on, just come, come, come. Uh, or I'll start picking, come on, come. Just stand here for a second, come on. Come on, Matt. All you will do, you will stand here, and you're going to reach out your hand like that, okay? That's all you guys are going to do. But I need more, I need seven. There's only two here. Come on, five more, come on. Jeff, come on. <laughs> I know there's more. Uh, Phil, come on, you're big. No? You don't want to come? Who wants to come? Ian, come on, Ian. All right, Ian will come. That will be good. 
We'll get Pastor Phil to come up. Pastor Phil, you're going to help us out. <coughs> get in here. You guys will just reach your hand to me, okay? <laughs> Have you, has everybody here seen like uh, WWF or like uh, wrestling, professional wrestling? You've seen it, right? Okay. So you know what happens when somebody taps you. If I tap, him, I'm wrestling him and I tap you, what happens? No, no, you don't hit me. You're, you're on my team. You're on my team. Oh, sorry. So if I tap you, 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 you come in. Yeah, yeah, you can actually come in. A lot of times they'll tag team the other guy. So this is Satan, okay? I'm going against him. He's keeping me. He's keeping me. If I try to fight him myself, that's, this is what it looks like. I'm like, I'm trying to go, I'm trying to go, I'm trying to go, I'm trying to advance the kingdom, and he's discouraging me, he's pushing me back. But come on, push me back a bit. But you know what? I'm not, I'm not by myself. Come on, help me out. Come on, I start praying, I start praying, I bring people in, I bring people in. What's going to happen to this guy? You see? So prayer is bringing God into your problems. Go ahead, guys, you can sit down. Prayer is asking God to come fight for you. He will pro provide the resources. He'll get people working for you. He will advance the kingdom with you. If you do it yourself, you're going to get pushed back. You know? So remember, first response to opposition, prayer. Second response, put your heart in the work. That's what happened in verse 6. It says that their heart was in the work. Remember, I already said this, so I'll be quick with this. They kept building. They kept working. They kept going. And the, the, the wall was advancing. All of a sudden, they were halfway there. All of a sudden, the wall, is, the breaches are being closed. The enemy is getting desperate. So I tell you this morning, you know, things might not be going well for you. Things are not, maybe your prayers haven't even really been answered yet. But God's telling you this morning through this message, keep building. Keep praying. Keep working. Keep teaching. Keep believing. Keep, keep going. I've been teaching this Sunday school with two kids. Keep praying. Like, teach as if you had 50 kids. You know? I've been coming to this church and the, the worship team all this time. Keep singing. Keep praying. Oh, there's an empty chair. Pray in that chair. Invite your friends. Start doing it. Keep building. Keep working. Keep giving. Oh, I've been giving for 10 years. Keep giving. We're getting closer. Keep teaching. Keep inviting. Keep preaching the gospel. God's moving. God's, we're advancing. Before you know it, the church is built. Before you know it, this church is full of new people. Before you know it, we're making new disciples. Before you know it, you know, our young people are on fire for Jesus. Keep going. Expect God to work for us when you pray. When we're busy doing the work, we have no time for nonsense. Notice, how did David fall in sin? He was supposed to be in the, in the war, but he stayed behind, doing nothing. When you're doing nothing, that's when you are being tempted. When you are doing nothing, that's when you're in the danger zone. When I'm working, I'm never tempted. When I'm busy, if I'm with Pastor Phil doing a visitation, how am I going to be tempted? If I'm praying for somebody, how am I going to be tempted? If I'm studying the Word, you know? But it's when you're not doing anything and you're away from your responsibility that temptation comes. Uh, three, keep your eyes on the enemy in vigilance. Prayer did not remove the opposition in Nehemiah. The opposition didn't disappear. In fact, they became stronger. So what did he do? He prayed, but he kept an eye on the enemy. They worked with one hand, spear on the other hand. You stay vigilant. And I'll give you an example for you to remember this well. I remember when I was younger, 
I went into a, I was doing a visitation, went to visit someone in Brazil. And then I looked to the side, and there was a huge German shepherd, huge. And I, in Brazil, we don't, like, have appointments, you know. Oh, I'm going to visit you three weeks from now. No, we just go, and we walk in, and hello, you know. So I just kind of walked in this member's house, and there was a huge German shepherd there. And the German shepherd saw me, and he came like a psycho, like, you know, like right at me. And what did I do? What does fear do? Paralyzes you. So I was like, and then that German shepherd just kept coming. And that's the same with the devil. You're scared. And he can And then he jumped at me, like to get me. And as soon as he jumped, he went, because he was tied, you know. <laughs> and the, the leash, the leash ended. So I was right there, and he's like, and he looked at me, he's like, oh, come on, you're nothing. You know? <laughs> and that's the devil. He comes at you, roaring like a lion. He's not a lion. And Jesus got his leash. He can't touch you, but he'll come to scare you. you know? But the thing is, a lot of people misunderstand that. Oh, the devil's tight. He can't do anything. That's true. He can't touch you. But if you walk in his domain, the leash came up to here. But if I cross that line and I start walking in darkness, I start walking in his domain, what would happen? That German shepherd would destroy me, you know? So don't keep your guard, you know? Close the breach so nothing will touch you. So the devil can't do anything to you uh, because in his domain, he can. Uh, and the last thing, so we can finish, keep your Mind focused on the Lord. Keep your mind focused on the Lord. Nehemiah 4.14, Nehemiah reminded them, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Uh, my marriage is not what it's supposed to be. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Ah, uh, My kid's not acting the way I, rose, I raised him up to be. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't turned a deaf ear to your prayer. Maybe he's working in something. Uh, opposition makes you stronger, makes you pray more, makes you unite, makes you focus, makes you want to spend more time with that kid. Who knows? I don't know what you're going through, but God is working. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And remember what he put you here for. He said, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. Remember the purpose. Why am I here in the first place? Please. Why did I become a Christian in the first place? Why did I raise my kid to be this way in the first place? Why did I get this job in the first place? Why did I start teaching kids in the first place? Why did I start taking care of the evangelism in the first place? Why did we start 50 plus in the first place? You know, everything. Remember, like what God put in your heart. Remember what we're here to do. Nehemiah re redirected their focus to the Lord and how great and awesome <coughs> he is. And I'll, I'll conclude with this as well. Stop worrying about the size of the problem and start focusing on the size of your God. We don't have the money. Who cares? God has all the money. It's just a matter of time. You know why we haven't built that yet? Because we're not ready to move in there. The problem is not the money. The problem is us. He's working in us right now. So he, he's working. He's going to do amazing things. Focus on the size of your God. And I'll conclude with this uh, historian, 
Will Durant, he made an observation that it will help us remember this message. He said that Rome remained a massive empire as long as they had someone to fight. Because warriors, when they have nothing to fight, what do they do? They retire. <laughs> you know? And Rome became big as long as they had opposition. As long as they were fighting, advancing, they became united. They had vision. They had heroism. They overcame enemies. You know? But as soon as there's no one to fight, they thrive for a short while, and then they begin to die. So opposition made Rome strong. Opposition is making you strong. That's why God hasn't removed it. As you live for Christ and you work for him and you advance his kingdom, you will face opposition. But I tell you, remember, do as Nehemiah did. Uh, pray. Bring, you know, start with prayer. Keep your eye on the work. Keep working. Keep vigilant. Keep your eye on the enemy. And focus on the great and awesome God that we have. Amen? Let's pray. If you could stand up, please, I'd like to pray for us. Father God, we give you praise this morning. We thank you for this book of Nehemiah and that it can teach us so much uh, in where we're going with our spiritual life, the trials we're facing, uh, where we're going as a as a, uh, in the building project and different things in the church. Father, we, we bring our requests to you in prayer and we ask for you to work for us. Uh, help us where we can't help ourselves. Help us uh, in the areas that we are, even with unbelief, we ask that you will help us. Father, let your spirit come over us in a mighty way. Open our eyes, open our ears. Help us to feel encouraged to go back to your word, to spend time in prayer, to believe, to trust you, even when things are not going our way. A lot of times I know it's frustrating. We, we are praying, we're, we've done things right, but it just seems that things aren't going the way they're supposed to go. This is not what I dreamed. This is not what I, I thought would happen. But Father, we need to trust you because many times you are working through situations that we can't even understand. And you always, always, always work for the good of those who love you. That is in Romans chapter 8. You say that you work for those who love you. So, Father, we love you. We love our children. We love our families. We love our youth. We love the members of this church. We love Bradford. We love the people outside of Bradford. We love this region. Father, you have put a heart uh, in us and a love in us for the lost in this place. I praise you, Father, that this church has been here uh, for a long time doing amazing work, recovering people, pointing them to Jesus. And Father, we want more of that. I thank you for, you are bringing the nations to Bradford. You're bringing the nations to Sunbridge. Uh, we have members uh, proclaiming your name, exalting your name, <coughs> praising you with us from 20 different countries in this place. You are making us missionaries. You're bringing the mission to us. That's why we're called the mission. Because, Father, you have something amazing going on. And, Father, we believe that you are doing something special in the city. We know that you put uh, this new building 
you've put the members here on purpose, you've got each person in, in their specific area, you have different talents, you have different gifts, you have different mindsets, but Father, you unite us in a way that we sharpen one another, we encourage one another. So help us, Father, to not give ear to the enemy, to not give in or to believe Satan's lies that he tries to put in our ears, in our hearts, in discouragement, in opposition, but that will keep our eyes to you, that will bring everything in prayer. That, Father, we uh, will keep working hard. We'll keep on with the work. We'll keep believing. We'll keep in faith. Father, that we'll keep our guards up. And, and Father, we, we praise you and help us to remember the amazing God we serve and why we are doing what we're doing in the first place. We praise you for everything that you have done, everything that you are doing, and everything that you are going to do. And if there's anyone here, Father, that doesn't know you, that doesn't know you personally, I pray that you, they will open their hearts, that they will give you a chance, and that they will start living the best life they've ever had. Mm -hmm. Father, if there's any members in the church that is discouraged, came in this morning discouraged because of a situation, because of an opposition, of a, of because of something that they don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, why this situation hasn't changed, why things are going the way it's going. Father, I pray that your spirit will strengthen them. Strengthen them. Reveal your heart to them. Uh, help them to trust you, Father. Trust you with what they don't understand. Trust you. Give the situation to you. Uh, that they'll tag you in and ask, Father, work for me. I've done everything I could do on my own. I've prayed. I've watched. I've done. And things are just keep going farther and farther away. So give that over to Jesus. He will carry everything that you need for, for you. Thank you, Father, for this morning. And we praise your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.